Just what is authenticity? How do we know we're experiencing it in our daily lives? What are the moments in our life that have led us to a better understanding of who we are as people? These conversations and more happen right here on The Authenticity Experiment. I'm your hostess. My name is Megan Williams. I'm a licensed therapist in the state of Arizona, and I have spent my career helping people find their most authentic versions of themselves and live and grow inside of that authenticity. And now I get to share the stories of people who have taken their own pathway to authenticity. Just a general content warning, most episodes of the Authenticity Experiment have themes that can be considered triggering for some. Please listen at your own pace and understand that when people tell their stories, it's part of their healing journey. And by listening to the stories of others, we can feel less alone. However, if there is content in this episode that you find triggering, please consult with your mental health professional or reach out to me and I can provide you with resources in order for you to start coping with the stress that you may be experiencing in your own life. Hey everybody, welcome back to another conversation that we are having inside the Authenticity Experiment. Today I have a a very wonderful guest for you all. And and I met Stacy because she asked me to come on her show and talk a little bit about um, some of the experiences and, and the tactics and things that I've learned about multi-level marketing. Um, and, and we've kind of found each other through all the, the randomness of the interview or the interwebs. There we go. Words are hard this morning. Uh, <laughs> this is what happens when I'm up before 11 on a weekend. Um, but, um, Stacy's been doing a lot of work, uh, in, in kind of the podcast realm on YouTube for a really long time. She has a book, um, she's super fun to talk to, and I'm really excited for you all to get to hear some of her journey and where she's been. Um, and I will kind of let her introduce herself and tell you all a little bit about who she is, what she does and all that fun stuff. Okay. Well, hey, Megan, thank you for letting me come on your show. It's It really is an honor and it's so strange to be the interviewee and not the interviewer. Um, yeah. I mean, just really quick. I, you know, I've been, I've been doing podcasting since 2005, since before RSS feeds existed. True story. <laughs> and um, OG, y'all. OG. Yeah. I mean, it's been a long time. My husband and I, um, well, it was really me. I, I, I was blogging. I, I was actually finishing my master's degree in clinical psychology and became a marriage and family therapist. Never got licensed, but I, I did get the degree, did all the hours, 3000 in California, which is, which is insane. Um, and then I ended up moving to a new state and I knew I wasn't going to be licensed in California because I thought what is stupid to get licensed in California <laughs> when I'm moving to Tennessee. So I did that and um, kind of regret not getting licensed because it would have been easier to carry over here. But God opened up a different door and I was blogging about politics of all things. And I had a guy from the Chronicles of Narnia movie contact me and say, hey, I'd like to put an ad on your blog, you know, in exchange for, you know, a copy of a DVD or whatever. And I said, okay, yeah, and I'll pay. And and he said, he'd pay me. So 
he invited me down to the National Religious Broadcasters Convention to hang out at the Chronicles of Narnia booth. And I thought, ooh, this would be interesting to go to NRB and meet all these people in the publishing world and the Christian media world. And um, and then at the last minute, the guy reneged on his invite. He's like, you know what? I decided to give my free pass to somebody else. I'm not, I don't want you to come in after all. And so I, I was like, that is not going to happen. So I went down. It was the only one of the only years NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, is held in Anaheim, California. Usually it's in Nashville, Tennessee. It's like that at the Opryland every single year it's at the Opryland. But that year it was in Anaheim. And so I told my husband, I said, you know what? I'm going to go down there anyway. And I'm going to see if I can get in to the expo because some of my favorite Christian talk show hosts were coming from Virginia out to California and I wanted to meet them. So I went down and I tried to weasel my way in for two hours, tried to get people to let me in and nobody would let me in until finally uh, unknown Christian talk show host and a TV, uh, Seventh-day Adventist TV show host called from Amazing Facts TV. They they gave me a free pass. Both these people did. So I got in to the expo. I went directly to the publishers and I said, you know, I have an idea. How about if we blog for books? You know, you you give me Christian books, I'll blog about them, I'll get you reviewers in exchange for putting an ad on their site, and we'll do that. And to my surprise, three of those publishers asked for a card, which I didn't have, and I said, well, give me yours, and they gave me theirs, and I ended up contacting them afterwards, and they all signed up, started paying me money to uh, blog for books in the Christian world. So I was actually a pioneer in that. And and anyway, then after that, I was getting all these books and I thought, why not interview the, the authors? And so that's how I actually got started doing what I'm doing. That's so cool. I love that. Yeah. Well, Tell us a little bit about your book and what inspired you to, to take that blogging and turn it into a book and, and what kind of inspired the book that you wrote? What's well, Okay, so my book really has nothing to do with my blogging. <laughs> but it's funny, you ask, and I appreciate it. The name of my book is called Pickleball Faith, Inspiration on and Off the Court. And I'm holding it up for nobody to see except you. <laughs> really cute, though. Um, but, you know, it's it's funny because I when I moved to Tennessee, I didn't have any friends. And I was lonely and I would go to the recreation center. And one, one afternoon after about four or five years of being here, I saw that these people playing what looked like tennis and it ended up being pickleball. And so I went and I, I asked about it and this started to play because I've been a lifelong tennis player, although you wouldn't know it by looking at me. <laughs> Stop. But anyway, I, uh, yeah, actually the last ten tennis tournament I was in was a NAMI one. I actually won gold. And I have the trophy to prove it. Me and my psychologist girlfriend played the, you know, we, we won the tournament, but I won first place. So I have the, I have the, anyway, not that it matters, but it does. It does. You know, my first trophy was when I was 30 or whatever it was. <laughs> I love that. No, you light up when you talk about it. So that means it's important. Oh yeah. Well, but then pickleball. So then I became part of this community. I started playing pickleball, which is a lot like tennis. It's kind of a mix between badminton and ping pong, <laughs> except it, it's, it's, it's played on a badminton size court, but the people that play 
are all people that are not in my normal quote circle of friends, which is I one thing, you know, you might find this hard to believe, but I'm a Christian that doesn't want to hang out with Christian people. <laughs> I, I I do not. I told my husband when I moved here to the Bible Belt that the last thing I wanted was to hang out with church people. It's like I don't want all my circle of friends to be in the church. And so when I discovered pickleball, I met all these cool retired people. Most of them were retired and mostly guys, you know, in their 60s and 70s. And, you know, I'm the token girl and and, you know, a lot of gentlemen here. So I didn't have to worry about any of that. But I just ended up, you know, getting a group of friends and actually being able to play and have fun. And over the last seven years, as the game has exploded, you know, there's a lot of women and a lot of children that come and play. So um, that's what my book is about. It's about the relationships that develop playing pickleball. I love it. Yeah. So uh, you want to hear a story? I always want to hear a story, Stacey. Okay. Are you, are you, are you judgy? Cause I am, I'm a total judger. I don't judge. I diagnose. Okay. So I, <clears throat> I don't diagnose. I observe. How's that? So when, you when, when you're playing pickleball, there are good players and there are bad players that are not as good players. There are old people that can't play as good as you. And not that I'm superior because I'm not by any stretch, but I am competitive. Obviously, you can't get a master's degree and not be competitive on some level, right? Or firstborn, right? So there's this lady playing one day. Her name's Linda. And she was in her 70s. And I, and I was like, man, I don't want to play with her again. It's like everybody, I always get stuck playing with the same people who are newbies and slow and all this other stuff and this one particular day I was sick of it I didn't want to play another game with her but there was 50 people at the court that day and there's only three courts so you know 12 people are playing and everybody else standing around talking around and um after I got done playing that game with that person with Linda (laughs) I've never used her name in an interview I didn't use it in the book either but she knows the story I thanked her because it's sold a lot of books. Um, I had the thought in my mind, why not ask people what's one thing that they went through that they never thought they'd get through? And, you know, that's the therapist in me. I did that. And I I went went around and some of the men said, oh, getting my divorce, going bankrupt, you know, stuff like that. I asked Linda and she says to me, oh, honey, that's easy. Learning to walk again twice. So I was like feeling about two inches tall at that point going, all right, I'm complaining in my head about having to, you know, play pickleball with this lady who's slow and everything. But I just found out she's had to learn to walk again twice. So I asked her, I said, so what happened? She said, well, when I was a kid, I got run over by a car. And when I was older, I actually fell off a horse and I had to learn to walk again. And so I write in my book about how, you know, we, we really don't know each other's backstory, right? Because we judge people, whether or not we want to admit it or not, we do, we do judge people. And that's not, a. I mean, it's not a bad thing. We all do it. It's just that we don't judge with full knowledge. 
and there's, and there's, we judge with our knowledge, but we don't judge with their knowledge. And there's a huge issue there. Right. So I, uh, that changed my perspective of her and also changed my perspective of the other people that I play with, you know, because not too long ago, actually, I had these two young kids and I say young kids, I'm 54. So they're like 20. So, you know, they're young kids to me. Uh, Anyway, but, you know, I had these two, two kids and I really want to call them snot nosed brats because that's really what they were. And they, in my mind, (laughs) they come, there's in there and they're like, oh, oh, we got to play with you. And I'm like, I said, look, you know what? You might not want to judge me just because I'm overweight doesn't mean I can't hit a ball, you know? And they're like, okay, whatever. I'm like, fine. (laughs) Get on the court. Megan, they, they kicked me. They kicked my butt. They wiped the floor with me. And I was like, so mad afterwards. (laughs) It's like, you know, and I naturally went to, well, you're 25 years younger than I am. So of course you can move quicker than me. And, you know, and I had all these thoughts in my head. And then, you know, of course, at the end, I just tapped my paddle and said, good game. You know, I appreciate the opportunity to get my butt kicked by you two, but you know, whatever. So it goes both ways. It does. And, and I think what's interesting is, is that, you know, we, we continue to live in a world where it becomes glaringly obvious that we really know nothing about what other people are going through. And there, in my world, there's two types of people. The, the first is, is those that acknowledge that they don't know. And then there's the, the ones that think that they know everything. But right. even the people that acknowledge that they don't know breaks down even further into two groups of people. And one group is the people that understand that they don't know and want to know. And then there's the group of people that that understand that, you know, there's something going on that they don't know, but they don't care. Yeah. And I increasingly want to be that person that understands that I don't know and I continue to want to know. What is your story? Now, that does not mean that when I'm in the grocery store on a Friday night after having spent my entire week listening to other people's stories and their hard moments, I really don't want to hear another one. (laughs) I really am like, I'm good. I get it. You're going on something. I care, but I don't in this moment. Um, But it is those, those times where we take and we pause and we, even people we've known for a long time, they all have stories that we've never heard. And, and mm-hmm. to take those moments and pause and to have them and then flip the perspective on it, right? Like, have yep. you ever been on the other side of that? It's like, yes, yes, I have. I I have been judged throughout my entire life for the way that I look. Um, first, because I was a nerdy, quirky girl who had a very unique sense of style um, that I see emulated in my almost seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then as an adult, because I'm a heavily tattooed female, there are lots of assumptions that people make about me on a daily basis about who I am and how I live my life, just because I choose to have artwork on my body. Yeah. And, um, you know, when people find out that I have a master's degree, that I have a couple of bachelor's degrees, that I have this long history career in a field that is, I think, pretty amazing. And they're Mm -hmm. like, wait, what? Like, yeah, like, this is, this is what I do. (laughs) This is who I am. 
and we get to that place where it's like we just we just need to understand that we don't know we don't always know nope no and you never know what's going to impact you um you know you talk about the tattoos um i got a hannah ta- a hannah tattoo once when i was on a cruise <laughs> i love okay. hannah it's amazing it was actually you know um it was i put, put it up here uh, right above my breast you know right you know, I didn't take my clothes off for it. They just put it on. Right. But, but I remember that night I told my husband, I said, yeah, I think it'd be so cool to get a tattoo. But, you know, could you imagine me, Miss Bible News Radio, having a tattoo? You know, what would people think, you know? But I, but that night when I took a shower, I was standing in the in the in the cruise bathroom and I was I looked at myself. I was like, this, this is not me. I just yeah, I couldn't do it. But my hairstylist, the first one that I had here, she was 22 years old and she had tattoos all over. And and the whole time I was getting my hair done, I was like, hey, tell me about that tattoo and what 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 does it mean? Because there's always, I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of Christians are like judgy on that, you know. I mean, it's more acceptable now, but like in our age group, my age group, you're I think you're a little younger than me, right? Um, it's like kind of looked down on like the Bible says you shouldn't do that to your skin or whatever, but it's like, you know, context is everything. And I asked my hairstylist, I said, tell me about your tattoos. Tell me the story. And the stories that you hear are often very compelling and often connected with pain. Uh Right. You know, and it's like, you know, I wish I had the guts to just do it, but I don't, (laughs) but I admire you for being able to endure getting a tattoo because I, you know, but but that's how we we know who we are as people. We can look at something, we can appreciate it for somebody else, but we don't have to necessarily do it ourselves. I tell right. people all the time, tattoos are not for everybody. My level of tattooing is not for everybody. Um, and and I'll stand in in my house of worship and I look around and, and it's a very, for, <laughs> for a Catholic church, it's very come as you are, very progressive. And I'm not the only one in there that's covered in tattoos. In -hmm. fact, there are people that that show up for our services that have face tattoos that have clearly been through a lot of things that have lived a completely different life than what the person sitting next to them has lived as well. And what's really cool is we all get to come together as one church family and have an experience, a spiritual experience in that one hour. and not have to to define ourselves based off of our differences. And it's, for me, it's, it's that moment of, you know, who, who do we want to be? And if, if our spiritual connection makes us feel whole and loved and worthy, then the rest of it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, I mean, our differences, our differences is what makes life fun. My therapist told me once that if we were all the same, we'd be yellow. We'd be minions. Yes, we would. And even the minions are different. (laughs) Right? They're all different. Stuart only has one eye. (laughs) (laughs) And Bob carries a teddy bear. They're all different. So tell me when, when you think of authenticity, how do you define it? How do you like, what do the, what are the concepts that come into your head when you think about that word? Um, for, you know, my motto since I was younger was that, you know, pretty much what you see is what you get. 
you know, I'll give you an example. So being authentic means that I can state my feelings. Actually, I heard Dr. Romney. Do you know who she is, Dr. Romney? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Recently, she was being interviewed by Mel Robbins and Dr. Romney and her ended up talking a little bit about authenticity and, her, and Dr. Romney. I actually, I love her. She, <laughs> she, she's just, she's so funny, first of all, but you know, when she was talking about it, she was talking about how authentic people, you know, she didn't use this language, but she basically said they, they walk to the beat of their own drum, right? We're, we're not afraid to say who we are and, and deal, you know, put out our point of view, knowing that we're going to get crap thrown back at us for doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and, I'll, and I'll give a perfect example from, um, from trying to think which one I want to give. <clears throat> Okay, I'll, I'll just give this example from this week. Okay, so there's a, a Christian news radio station that posted an article about Candace Cameron Bure, Kurt Cameron's sister, mm -hmm. um, saying that her testimony was powerful. Okay, now look, I think anybody's conversion story is is truly powerful. But the reality is, is that Candace Cameron Bure's testimony to me isn't that powerful. It's pretty typical. You know, she walked the aisle, got, quote, saved, unquote, didn't do anything with her faith for about 10 years until she became a parent, then decided she wanted to raise her kids as a Christian and then um, got serious about understanding the Bible after that. To me, that's not powerful. That's typical, mm -hmm. especially if you've been raised in an environment where, uh religion, you know, is, is part of that, right? Well, I, I made that comment. I made a comment on that post. It was the first one, in fact, and I got pounced on by all the other Christians, you know, you know, I got basically called a piece of shit because I denigrated Candace Cameron Bure's testimony. And I, I mean, people read into everything that I said and they didn't hear where I said that I thought she was great and blah, blah, et cetera. She's done a lot of great work. They didn't hear any of that. But what but what they heard was I didn't think her conversion story was powerful. And and I don't. I honestly don't. I, and I also made the other point that, you know what, it's the only reason people give a crap about it is because she's a famous person. Mm -hmm. Now, having sat behind a microphone myself for almost 18 years, I've been looked at as quote, a little fan. I'm, you know, my husband says, Oh, you're just a minor Christian celebrity in certain, certain circles. A lot of people know who I am. Most circles, most people don't know who I am. They don't care. And I don't care. But for me being authentic in that moment was stating, look, you know what? I don't think her testimony is all that powerful, you know? And I took the shit that I got thrown at me, you know, and, and I say it that way because it's exactly what happens when you are and you go against the status quo and you're supposed to be one way. And it, it, ticks, it ticks people off that are so damn legalistic. You know, I, I was having lunch with a, a friend of mine a couple of days ago and, and she, she's a woman of faith too, um, but she's colorful, <laughs> you know. She's very conservative like me too and 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 all that. But, you know, I was telling her about some stuff and and she looked at me and she said, you know what, Stacey? She said, you are, you're a safe Christian. You know, I know you mentioned the um, Westboro Baptist Church folks on a previous show of yours. And and I'm like, you know, even though I, I understand 
where they're coming from, that's not who I am. And, you know, I am a tolerant, loving person and I can disagree with something, but I can also be a loving, safe person. And I've had people tell me that, you know, my whole life. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I have a lot of close friends because I don't. And, you know, one of the things Dr. Romney brought out in that interview was, look, if you're authentic, you're going to have a small circle and you will because you're cutting the crop out, right? Right. You know, if people say something and you're like, well, you know, that's not how I see it. And they they want you to count out to their stupid belief. You know, <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to. Right. That That's just not me. And if you can't accept me for who I am, then, then it's your loss, really. And honestly, I think some of that comes with age. Some of it comes with, for me, uh, honestly, surviving narcissistic abuse as a kid. I, I had a mother who was a, a sociopath narcissist. I was abused growing up. Um, she handed me over to a relative to be molested most of my childhood. And when I was in high school, I turned my perpetrator in um, and I became a Christian at that point. And the cops knew that I was being abused. My my perpetrator was given 25 years in prison and my mother forced me to recant so that he got out. And the only reason California let him out was because there were no laws protecting the victim, me, you know? And so, you know, I look at that and I go, okay, years after that, I ended up moving out on my own at 18 and um, put myself in therapy because somebody recommended, hey, have you ever thought about going to counselor? Because <laughs> my stinking mother never thought about throwing me in therapy. Um, so I found a therapist and um, she applied for victim witness assistance for me many years later. And I was awarded $10,000 by the state of California from victim witness, which actually was the first validation I got from going through all the crap I went through, mm-hmm. you know, cause you can throw out, oh yeah, my perpetrator would have gotten 25 years in jail. And a lot of people who don't understand that sex predators barely get any time when you hear that number and you hear that that's what mine would have gotten, that should give you an ex- an idea of the extent of the abuse I went through. Right. Right. But, you know, you look at me and you look at my life and you go, oh, I- I've had clients when I was doing therapy. You say, oh, your life's been so perfect. I'm like, really? Because I've spent 15 years of my own therapy dealing with crap, you know, <laughs> right? Uh, over $250,000 of my own money, you know, because therapy is not cheap, but I did the work, you know, and I can tell you, quote, when I was diagnosed as a certain way, I had the MMPI, my, my things were all over the map. By the time I ended therapy, they were all normal levels. My therapist said to me, she goes, we have scientific proof that all the work that we did, you know, is, is what it is. And, but, you know, most people won't go through that. They won't do the work. And, um, you know, for me, my faith is a big part of that, but also the fact that realizing, you know what, nobody's going to stand up for me unless I do, because that's been my, my thing. That was a long answer. <laughs> Shouldn't give long answers, but anyway. No, you should. That's, I mean, <clears throat> that's what I love about what, what I'm doing with this, right? Is like the answers can be long because life is full of nuance and it's layered and a lot of the questions that we're asking or that that I'm seeking to have people start thinking about for themselves is how how do we know who we are? What are the defining moments of our life? What are those keystone moments that make us go, this is the person that I think I am and that I want to be? 
or what this is the person I really don't want to be, right? Yeah. Can I go back though to before I forget my point though yes. about this whole Candace Cameron Bray thing? Because yes. it actually it ties into it, right? So being raised with a narcissist sociopathic mother, you know, I was seen as an extension of her, right? So I make this comment about not thinking this woman's testimony is that powerful. I get pounced on by all these Christians who say, well, she's our brother and sister in Christ and you need to be blah, 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 blah. Right now, what's the irony here? The irony is I'm also a brother and sister in Christ. And the irony is that you guys just called me a piece of shit verbally without even considering the fact that you just verbally assaulted me. Now, just to be honest, they, nobody actually called me that directly, right. but they more, they more or less did you know, bless your heart. And you're one woman called me a, what she called me a, a, a bitching Bertha or something like that. And I'm like, okay, so, <laughs> all right. So because I stayed a differing opinion that you don't like, you're telling me, I actually had this guy to one of my friends on Facebook. He actually dated Kathy Lee Gifford. He actually told me that I should have commented in a way that was more affirming to towards Candace Cameron Bure. And I said, maybe if I wanted to, I would have, but that's not my point. My point is, is that people got all bent out of shape because I said what I said, because she's famous. And yet maybe you should give a crap that they all just verbally assaulted me, a Christian. And on top of that, Megan, I'm like, does anybody want to hear my testimony? You know, do you want to hear my testimony? Because Candace's testimony to me is milk toast compared to mine. I mean, part of what I just shared with you is some of that. But so this guy, this is the funny part. So this guy, he reaches out to me. He's like, because I said on the thread, I said, I'm like, does anybody care about my testimony? Because none of you guys give a crap. The only reason you care about Candace is because she's famous. No, I'm a, she's a brother and sister in Christ. She's done blah, blah, blah. I'm like, and none of them know what I do, right? They don't know I've hosted this Christian show for 15, 17 years and none of this. So this guy reaches out to me, right? So I say, yeah, how about we do a, a Zoom and I'll share my testimony with you? He's like, well, I don't feel comfortable on Zoom. I'm like, of course you don't. Pretty typical. He sends me a message, a messenger. And I look at the guy's profile picture. This was so, this was like totally the perfect setup. This guy's profile picture is a picture of him and Dr. Dr. David Jeremiah shaking hands. Now, Dr. David Jeremiah is a very well-known, big, huge, mega pastor. So I point out to him, I said, oh, I see that you love Dr. David Jeremiah. And he writes me back <laughs> and he says to me, yes, he was so nice. I met him at a conference and he didn't even have to talk to me. And I'm like, do you see the irony of this whole thing here? You're telling me you don't care about Christian celebrity, that blah, blah, whatever. You want to hear my testimony. But your profile picture is you bragging that you met Dr. David Jeremiah, this famous Christian mega pastor. And you're telling me that he didn't have to actually come and shake your hand at the conference. I thought... <laughs> it's It's the... It's like... It's like, do you not see your own hypocrisy here? And do you think he actually responded to my message when I pointed that out? Of course not. No, of course not. And do you think he gives a crap about my testimony? No, no of course not. But you know what? For me, being authentic, I don't give a crap. Because you know what? 
this is where I'm coming from and I have a right to it. And if you don't like it, that's tough. You know what? As my mom would say, she would say it, but anyway. (laughs) Well, and I think too, like one of the things that, that happens frequently, especially when you're in one of those larger arenas, right? Talking about a celebrity or even, you know, some of the larger social media account things, right? When somebody else identifies so strongly with that other, with the famous person's path, that projection comes out, right? You're saying it's not powerful. Well, that's my experience. And to me, it was powerful, right? And so I have the, the distinct impression that a lot of the people that were coming after you had very similar stories to, to Candace Cameron's. And that's why they felt the need to lash out because not only is she, you know, on the pedestal because she's been on television, which I don't understand. She's still just a person. She gets, she's squishy, right. just like the rest of us. Right. Right. The same things hurt her that hurt me. The same things kill her that kill me. We're the same. Um, <laughs> right. She just has a job that puts her out in the public eye, whatever. Um, right. But I, I do think that a lot of the times when we want to go after somebody, especially in the, the world of social media, it's because we've resonated with this person's journey. And when um, we get called out for it, that cognitive dissonance starts moving and we can't handle it. So we have to lash out at the person that created that oogie feeling inside of us to make them wrong. Right. Well, I'm, I'm that person for a lot of people and, (laughs) and yeah, and it it just, it's so annoying, you know, but, but I wouldn't change it because honestly there's, um, well, actually, you know, I, I, you know, I, I tweeted out recently that I think our society has lost its hatred for abuse. Let me say that again. I think our society has lost its hatred for abuse because you're, because because most of these people would never, ever dare to say that to my face, you know, but we can do, we can be keyboard warriors all day long. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and, and that was my point to this guy who even dated Kathy Lee Gifford. My point was you get all mad because I said what I said, but you don't get mad that I'm being verbally assaulted by fellow believers. Nope. You know, it's like, okay, look, I would be the first to say I'm not perfect. Duh. You know, (laughs) but I would be also the second to say that most people don't listen and they don't even hear themselves. And, and, you know, there's, there's people that they don't even hear how they sound. Now, Now, let me give you an alternate thing where, okay, where I was the jerk. Okay. So there was this, um, ad on Facebook and that's really what my book pickleball faith is about. It's about me being a jerk and exposing my stupidity <laughs> and how God, God like corrects me. But there was a, um, an ad on Facebook for affirmation socks. Okay. You know, socks that have words like courage and you're beautiful. And, you know, now to me, that stuff is so stupid. It's like, and, and I thought about it. I thought, should I make a comment? Cause really right now I really, just want to say something like this is stupid. If your self-esteem is so low that you have to wear socks that say you're courageous. I mean, that's sad, you know, truly. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna, just because right now that's how I'm feeling. I'm going to put it out there. And to my surprise, nobody attacked me, not one person. And there was a ton of comments on this thing. The next morning I get up 
I check Facebook and there's a message replying to my message. And the message is from this woman. And she said, you know, she said, you know what? I buy these socks from my 21 year old daughter who has chemotherapy because it makes them feel better. So I sat there for a second and I said in my head, better not respond like an asshole to this one because, you know, this woman just shared that her daughter has cancer and dealing with chemo. And so I took a deep breath and I said, okay, Lord, look, you got me. Okay. (laughs) So I responded and I said, you know what? You know what? I never thought of it that way. Thank you so much for changing my perspective. I really hope your daughter gets better and I will, you know, pray for her. And (laughs) The woman responds back with such grace and she says, thank you so much. And I hope you have a happy holiday season. And then after that, I prayed and I said, father, you know, look, I'm really sorry. You know what? I didn't, I didn't see those socks that way to me. They were just a stupid way to promote dumb stuff and, and all that. But thank you for correcting me because, you know, it gave me a new perspective, like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe somebody is buying this when I see something so stupid, maybe they're buying it to help somebody who really is, who needs it, you know? And, and I tell you, honestly, I started to cry because I was like, Lord, you know, I screw up like this all the time, but then, you know, it was like, he spoke to my heart and said, look, you know what, Peter, when he denied me three times, he didn't think he was going to deny me what are Peter's main gifts, right? Peter's main main gifts are exhortation and teaching and the bold one out there speaking the truth. His Peter's main gift isn't mercy. <laughs> it's not helps. It's not, you know, that type of thing. And I just felt like God said, you know what, look, your main gift isn't mercy and compassion. It's just not, that's not who I made you to be. Your main gift is this, but you're teachable. So this will help you become more compassionate and more merciful. And I was like, thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> and then I did a little podcast on my little podcast on Anchor <laughs> and shared the story because that's what people resonate to. And that's why people love my book too, because you know I have a lot of non-pickleball players that play it, but the main theme in pickleball faith is it's the relationship that's the cure. As you know, as a therapist, it doesn't matter what your, your modality is. It's not who gives a crap. Nobody, nobody cares. Right. I remember when I was in my internship and my supervisor said that at the end of every in, uh, supervisory meeting, he said, it's the relationship is secure. And it really, it really is. If you're real, people will be real with you, you know? And, um, and I think that's why my book resonates so well with people, but also why people who are real and they can take correction, I resonate with, you know, because, you know, I learn lessons. I learn lessons everywhere, you know, (laughs) just give me a topic and I can give, oh, there's a lesson, you know, because it's my gift, you know? Right. My, one of the things that I I try to, to be about and walk the talk of, especially um, because it tends to come out in some of my recovery circles is that idea that I am at my best when I am able to see the God in other people, right? Because that idea that the the fundamental idea of God lives in all inside of all of us, whatever somebody's concept of that God is, it all lives deep down inside of us. And it's my job to be able to find that in other people 
and I tend to be pretty good about it. Um, but that that idea that if I can see the God in you, then I'm going to be more compassionate and I'm going to be more um, available to admit when I'm wrong and say, you know what? Yeah, what I said or how I said what I said probably wasn't the best delivery because <laughs> I tend to be really direct and I live, um, Arizona is really fun for me because uh, people here really need some ego fluffing before you <laughs> get to the point. And, and, I, and I'm okay with that. It's just, it's a style of communication that I'm not used to. I'm used to point A to point B, get it done, right? It's not, I'm not being harsh. I'm just being very clear in my communication. Right. And having a degree in communications doesn't help. Clear, concise communication was beat into me for four years. Um, <laughs> but so like out here, right. I have to have that moment where I type out an email and I'm like, da, 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 da. And then I have to go in and add the niceties at the beginning and the niceties at the end, because it's not natural for me to start in with, you know, the, that five minutes of ego fluff. I have to like, you know, cultivate it inside of myself. And there are people that really struggle with how direct I am because they confuse it with me being rude. And I'm like, I'm really not being rude. I'm just really direct. Mm -hmm. I've been there. And um, my my joke yeah. is, is that there are people that constantly ask me why I'm always so pissed off. And I'm like, I'm not mad. This is just what my face does. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because because I've learned over time, you know, that you know, being fluffy, I guess is what you just said, you know, is I've learned, you know, that sandwich technique, you know, fluff, criticism, more fluff, you know, it's like an Oreo cookie, you know, the fluff right. is, you know, um, and, and I will tell you like my own therapist, um, <laughs> this week I saw her, I started seeing her again after a 15 year hiatus, because my dad died a couple of years ago, last year. And, and then subsequently I've had 20 other people die in the last year, right? That I know. And I was telling her, I said, yeah, you know, she goes, well, how's your week been? And I said, well, you know, I've been getting short with people on Facebook. And, and she says to me, um, uh, so you think that you're going to, you know, wait to process your your feelings before you feel good again on Facebook. And I go, and I said, and she knows I'm a trained therapist. She went with me through my whole journey there, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so rather than to just hear her, her, her comment, which was a question I said to her, I said, um, I said, you know, that sounded like a suggestion disguised as a comment, you know, as a question rather you know was it and she sat there and she's like yeah I didn't mean it that way but yeah I think so I said you know you do that a lot you know you always question me by directing me in the question and you know which you know I, I was telling my husband actually a couple of days prior to that I said yeah you know she always tells me what to do by asking me the question and and but she doesn't condemn me that's it's, it's like that subtle plant in my head, even though I, I it's like, I know you're doing this. Okay. <laughs> she never gives advice. She just asks me questions that tell me what to do. So I've learned that a little bit. It, and it, that really is an art, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
It is that that <laughs> that subtle implied command is outstanding. <laughs> I'm also a big believer yeah. in forced choice. Like I, I give yeah. people their options, and then they have to pick one, and they don't realize that I completely limited their options. <laughs> <laughs> and directed them subtly to the right one right i'm also big on yeah. small language shifts like even in my personal life when i hear people use certain words and i know the meaning behind that word and i'm like why don't we not use that word can we use a different word might change the way you see the situation mm -hmm. and they look at me and they're like oh yeah that drives never me. thought about that i'm like yeah let's change that um, mm -hmm. All right, so I'm going to end this the way I always end this. What are two things that you love about who you are today? What are two things I love about who I am today? Um, I would say that I love that I'm that I'm I'm real and I can cry and not have it bug me. That's one thing. The other thing is I would say that I love that I speak my mind but I'm more thoughtful most of the time. You wouldn't believe that from hearing this show, but it really is true. I'm, I'm, I'm more quick to apply the lesson I'm being taught, uh, you know, or more quick to obey when I'm being corrected by God. You know what I'm saying? So um, I don't just like go, oh, and then not do anything with it. I'm quick to course correct. Whereas before I was a little bit stubborn. I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> You know way. But true. <laughs> if if people want to find you and connect with you, where can they do that? Um, over on my website, hearttug.org, H-E-A-R-T tug.org. That's my nonprofit. And um, we named it after my dog Tuggy Bear, who died a couple of years ago. We hearted Tug, my dog, Tuggy Bear Tug. Yeah. And so we, we thought, well, we'll name our nonprofit after Tug, hearttug.org. So there you go. Very good. And I will link, um, I'll link some stuff into the show notes too, so that people can, can just click and go and, and do all the things. Um, I'm really, really glad that you, you decided that you wanted to do this and have this conversation. I completely enjoy getting to see who you are and and understand a little bit more about how your journey has been and that's always a huge blessing for me thank you again for joining us for this edition of the authenticity experiment everything you need to know will be linked in the show notes especially how to get in touch with our guest from today if you are interested and finding ways to connect with them more and ways to connect with me if you are interested in having this conversation yourself. I appreciate all of you who've taken the time to support this project and I will see you down the road.